Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Defense Deconstructed on the CGAI Podcast Network. I'm your host and Vice President of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, Dave Perry. On today's episode, you will hear remarks from the United Kingdom's Minister of Investment, Lord Brimstone, which he delivered during the Canadian Defense Exchange, a one-day virtual event organized by the Canadian Association of Defense and Security Industries on May 5th, 2021. This podcast is brought to you by Irving Shipbuilding, a strategic partner of the federal government's national shipbuilding strategy, providing skilled, well-paying jobs that support Canada's economic recovery. Focused on diversity and inclusion in employment and supply chain, Ships for Canada is growing opportunities for Indigenous people, women, African Canadians and veterans. Because when we build in Canada, we invest in Canadians. Very pleased to be here to speak with you all today. Um, Sadly, the pandemic prevents me from being with you in person, but of course, great to join virtually. And isn't this an example of how COVID-19 has accelerated global trends, not least in our use of technology as 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 a business tool? And I'm speaking to you from the old Admiralty building in, in the centre of Whitehall, and which, of course, is the building where when Winston Churchill, when he was Secretary of State for Navy, um, conducted our, our naval operations from. Seems a very fitting backcloth to today's, today's, today's speech. Now, of course, the pandemic has been a, a terrible shock for the world. Um, absolutely the worst thing that's happened in, in, in my lifetime. Um, devastated the global economy, created so, so much human sadness, and of course has tested business res- resilience to the, to the limit. But, um, but of course, not, not least due to our rollout of our vaccination program in the, in the United Kingdom, you can begin to see some signs of recovery here and confidence absolutely, absolutely beginning to return here. Of course, it's changed our focus as a government as it's changed everyone's focus. Um, We have to focus on the health of our citizens, um, resilience, and how we can become more resilient in the the future. And in a sense, it's highlighted both our great strengths and our vulnerabilities. I can mark the start of the lockdown here very well because I became a a minister the, the day before the lockdown started. And it's not an easy apprenticeship for a government minister if you have to learn how to do it all how it all to do virtually, but, I've, but I seem to have managed to manage to cope. Um, very pleased to be speaking to this particular group. Um, I speak to you as the UK's Minister for Investment, um, but I had 20 years in the Ministry of Defence, serving our national security in various guises, not least as being the lead non-executive to our six defence six defense secretaries. Now, of course, life here has changed a lot since we left the European Union on the 31st of of December. Um, I think for the five years preceding that, and extraordinarily, it's been five years now since the referendum debate first first started on on leaving the the EU, the, the UK again has become kind of predictable. And we had lost our reputation a bit for predictability, but we're now hopefully now beginning to to regain that. Um, We've always been a champion for fair and free trade. And of course, now that we are an independent trading nation again, um, for the first time for nearly 50 years, we are actively um, signing up a whole network of free trade agreements. I think we've signed agreements with 67 to date and, and and more to come. Um, an important thing this year, and will absolutely, you know, um, help 
help our, our, our global positioning will be our, our accession to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which as you know, probably better than I do, it's a huge nine, nine trillion pound free trade area made up of 11 diverse and dynamic economies. Um, of course, spanning from the Americas to Australia and Asia Pacific with Canada as a very important member. And part of our economic strategy going forward um, is to put the United Kingdom at the center of a network of free trade agreements. Um, and we're doing this partly so as to secure our position as one of the best places for foreign investment in the world. And if you invest in the UK, if you build in the UK, you can then, of course, then access our, our network of, of free trade agreements. It was brilliant that we were agreed the rollover of CETA um, with our recently ratified trade continuum agreement with Canada. And of course, in that agreement, we have promised that we will sit down with our friends in Canada later this year and negotiate a, a new, new full-purpose trade, trade deal. And our links, of course, are strong on so many multiple levels. Um, we are, after all, the only two countries to simultaneously share membership of NATO, the G7, the G20, the Commonwealth, and the Five Eyes Partnership. And it's hard to think of a, of a more detailed interweaving than that, than that give us. And of course, at the human level, um, so many connections between our, 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 our countries, um, brought home to me by the fact that my um, uncle, who um, passed away last year, was the last, one of the very last surviving Battle of Britain pilots in Canada. As a young man, he came to the United Kingdom from, from Canada and flew hurricanes in the, in the Battle of Britain. And in a way, what a, what a testament to the, to the closeness of our, as of our nations. Um, our overall message is clear, and you'd expect me to say this, Britain is open for business, um, a welcoming and dependable home for international commerce and global talent alike. Um, rated by the World Bank as the most business friendly of Europe's 10 largest economies. And we're expecting that our economic recovery from the impacts of COVID-19 will be fueled by trade and inward investment. And in my role, I'm responsible for all inward investment into the United Kingdom. That, of course, puts me right at the center of our, of our economic policies. Um, I think we're building on very strong foundations. Um, we have a, a strong track record of success. And absolutely, we're going to continue to provide wholehearted support to new inward investors. Um, this is through initiatives such as the Office for Investment, which the Prime Minister set up last year in 10 Downing Street to actively prioritize high impact, high value um, investments. And that office um, reports to me and already it's making a, a huge impact on our ability to welcome major global investors to the, to the UK. Now, whilst encouraging um, overseas investment, of course, we've had to look to our, our, our protections and to prevent investment by hostile activities and I recently took through Parliament our, our new national service and investments legislation, which we've put in place to ensure the UK remains effectively protected whilst maintaining our world-leading reputation 
as an attractive place to invest. But in line with that thought, um, let me now move on to the agenda for today, which is our defense and security sector. And of course, you all know just as well as I do, that we are again faced with a ever uncertain and turbulent world, with a resurgent Russia and a, a rising China. And our national security planning, um, having been concentrated on counterterrorism for a number of years, now of course has to admit the possibility of hostile action by, by, state, by state actors. And our integrated review, which we published recently, has been designed as a response to that. Um, ensuring that we are ready to respond to this challenging global security environment whilst building resilience at home and overseas. And a, a key focus of this review, which I think plays to our strengths, is the use of science and technology to sustain a strategic advantage. And very much working with international partners to reinvigorate international institutions, strengthening free trade, strengthening democracy, and strengthening international collaboration. Because we believe that by doing that, we are strengthening our defense and our, and our security. And of course, this includes examining how we work with the UK's defense and security industrial sector, which is world leading in key areas of research and development. Um, it's a very, very important sector to our economy. It employs nearly a quarter of 1 million, 250,000 people, and with a turnover of around 38 billion pounds um, each, each year. And like, like, like you, like the audience, many international companies make up that landscape, delivering critical parts of our defense and security program. Now let's take a quick break to hear about one of our sponsors. In the next few months, Canada will select its next fighter aircraft that will help ensure the safety and security of Canadians and deliver economic benefits to industry. The next generation Block 3 Super Hornet is the best choice to take on Canada's most complex missions. It will also deliver more than 250,000 high paying jobs and 61 billion to Canada's economy over the life of the program. This is nearly three times more than its competitors. It has also work that stays in Canada guaranteed. Along with the economic benefits, the Super Hornet is the most efficient, affordable means of transitioning from Canada's existing CF-18s to a new platform. It is capable of performing the full range of tactical strike fighter missions required by the Royal Canadian Air Force at a much more affordable rate. For the Canadian men and women in uniform that will be flying this aircraft, it's important that they can execute their mission safely and return home each and every day. The Block 3 Super Hornet's two-engine design ensures safe operations over open sea, the Arctic, and other challenging environments. Whether it's today or tomorrow, Boeing will continue to be a partner to Canada well into the future. I'm very pleased that there are a number of Canadian companies which help deliver UK defence programmes and making major investments in our, in our economy. Um, it's always bad to mention names because one always leaves people out, but I would just like to call out you know, businesses such as CAE, which provides state-of-the-art training and simulation, or OSI Maritime, which provides bridge and navigation systems for the Royal Navy, and NP Aerospace, which is supporting the Army's protected vehicle fleet, as well as innovations in EOD and composite, composite armor. 
Um, and it's great that investment between our nations in this field does not, of course, flow just one way. Um, you know, any strong investment partnership always has flows in both directions. And I'm delighted to see that there are several leading UK defence companies committed to investing in Canada. You've got British businesses such as Babcock for the in-service support of your submarine program, um, Marshall's ADG for the maintenance, repair and overhaul of your C-130 fleet, BMT um, providing project management support across the Department of National Defence, of course, as well as the likes of BAE, Rolls-Royce and Ultra Maritime Systems, who will be working on the Canadian surface competence the largest and most complex shipbuilding initiative in Canada since, since World War II. And it's very interesting, this you know, new emphasis on shipbuilding. Um, I was at a ministerial meeting this afternoon where we were discussing our prime minister's direction to absolutely get a renaissance of shipbuilding in the United, in the United Kingdom. Alongside our integrated review, um, we've also published recently our Defence Command Plan, together with our Defence and Industrial um, Strategy. These will set out, these set out not just how the UK will be modernising our armed forces, um, but how we will ensure that our defence and security industry has the skills and capabilities required to support our national security and prosperity. And of course, it was very good news that despite the constraints caused by the pandemic last year, that we announced the biggest increase in the UK's defence spending since the Cold War, committing to an investment no less than an extra £24 billion over the next four years. So we are now spending £85 billion on equipment and support during that four-year period and £210 billion over the next decade. But despite this um, extra funding, um, come as no surprise that we've had to make some painful decisions. Um, and it was, I think it was right to withdraw some of our so-called sunset capabilities early, such as our own C-130 fleet and canceling the warrior upgrade in order to free up funding for investment in our sunrise capabilities like unmanned systems, deep fires, cyber, and I-star. And I think that, you know, recycling of sunset into sunrise will be a feature of all countries' defense programs over the next, over the next few years. Um, as part of this, more than two billion pounds has been released for our Tempest Future Combat Air System. And we've also committed to injecting six and a half billion pounds into wider defense security R&D. Now, as I said earlier about the priority we're attaching to shipbuilding, um, the command paper laid out support for a pipeline of work for the shipbuilding industry to support and build its capabilities um, for an industrial, for, for the make it fit for purpose going forward. Together with plans for a land industrial strategy, that is already seeing the renaissance of the UK armoured vehicle manufacturing and development capability, with a, a new factory um, producing boxer vehicles up in the north of up in the north of England, and all of these present opportunities for international companies to become to become 
um, involved. Now, part of this process has meant looking into the capabilities that we do need to have here in the UK. Identifying the priority capabilities that we must maintain onshore, such of course as our nuclear deterrent and our encryption technologies. But then also asking ourselves what future policies need to be in place to support, to support their growth and what other capabilities we could and should support as key to prosperity, including the potential to be exported. And key to this defense and security industrial strategy are improvements in how we intend to work with industry, aiming to reduce uncertainty and risk by changing the procurement and acquisition strategies to enable concepts like spiral development, engaging earlier with industry when setting requirements, building a partnership approach with industry by the expansion of our strategic partnership program, and of course, increasing our support to UK-based industry for exports in the sector, including developing government-to-government -government contractual frameworks to help win more deals. And I've always admired the Canadian approach to government-to-government -to -government contracting. And our, and our aim in this strategy is to build a virtuous circle, providing greater clarity around the government's future plans, giving industry the confidence that it needs to invest in cutting edge research and development, which hopefully will lead to innovation and productivity gains. And also very importantly, we want to use our global alliances and partnerships to drive collaborations in cutting edge technologies and innovation through strategic relationships and, and removing barriers to cooperation. And I think, can think of no nation that we would rather do that with than, than Canada, than with yourselves. So as we look to build back better, stronger and more resilient in the wake of COVID-19, this really does represent a great opportunity for government and industry to work side by side to create innovative solutions in the combat against future national security challenges. And I really do think that there has been a sea change here, you know, driven by COVID, in the willingness and the ability for government to work alongside the private sector. We would not have achieved our great vaccination program without such a partnership. And I have to say, looking at that from inside of government, it's given us a real taste to do even more, even more of that. Now, we are looking for investments by industry to bolster the government's offering. Um, building and sustaining the UK's strategic advantage through science and technology. Now, of course, and I know that you'll appreciate this, through the nature of the defense and security sector, this does mean that we will need to ensure that some key capabilities are delivered from within the UK. 
But I can say without reservation, that any suggestions of a bi-British approach by the government are, are entirely false. We absolutely recognize the critical contribution made by foreign investment to our, to our national security. Um, and of course, we are, we are keen to see greater inward investment in this sector as we do across all other areas of our economy. And it's very interesting that the United Kingdom is the most heavily overseas invested economy of any of the major economies. And we love that because all our research shows the number of advantages that we get from overseas investment. Not just the financial flows, but overseas invested companies tend to be more productive, they tend to be more innovative, they generate more R&D, and they generate more jobs and exports than non-overseas invested companies. So we have very real reasons why we want to maintain an open door to, to um, inward, inward investment. And I do believe that, you know, in these times of uncertainty across the global economy, we really do remain in Britain one of the most open, liberalized, business-friendly and welcoming nations for international investors. And as we hopefully all emerge from the pandemic, we look forward to continuing to support the collaboration and cooperation between our respective defense and, and security industries to help us all face the challenges of a, of a turbulent world and embrace the opportunities that trade and investment growth um, will lie ahead for us. So, thank you. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Defense Deconstructed, part of the CGAI Podcast Network. If you like the show, please remember to rate us and leave a comment on your podcast app. And if you like our stuff, please feel free to check out our donation page at cgaiica support. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The podcast is brought to you by our team in Ottawa, and thanks go to our producer, Charlotte Duval-Antoine, and Drew Phillips for providing our music. I'm Dave Perry, and thanks for listening to this episode of Defense Deconstructed.